Hey, I'm Brett Jamie, and welcome to the Baseball Coaching Journey, where we will explore how we as coaches, teachers, and educators can do a better job of developing our athletes, our programs, and ourselves. This is the final installment of this two-part interview with Courtney Thompson. Let's dive right into it. Yeah. Um, okay, so a little bit on like goal setting. I'm big into like goals. A couple of years yeah. ago when I'd invite you to speak at our Kent Lake dinner, the topic was goal setting. Right. Your brother um, did a really nice job addressing that issue. But um, So I'm, inter- I'm interested in what your goals were at different points in your career. So kind of like what what we talked about with what your day looked like, you know, just like a, a little bit of snapshot. Yeah. So I just chose like three or four random points. Okay. You can change them if you want. Okay. But as a ninth grader, what were some of your goals? Okay. Um, and then, well, let's start there. So just like, what were you thinking right. ninth grader? Ninth grade. Incoming ninth grader. So it's like, you know, August 1st of... Right. Well, we were three year high school. So you want me to do like junior high or high school? Let's go with uh, sophomore year then. Like yeah. Right as you're getting ready to start here. I think my mindset at that time was probably, oh, for sure, is win a state title in every sport, which didn't happen. But I gave it a good shot. <laughs> and I didn't know then like the mechanics of confidence, or uh, sorry, the mechanics of goal setting and like, but I think it was probably to outwork everybody. Um, that was always number one. I, I, remember I wrote that in my car, outwork everybody else. Earn an incredible opportunity in college. I remember that wording. And then win a state title in every sport. Hmm. Okay. I oddly remember those goals. Yeah. Yeah. Having you to do a good job <laughs> of uh, reinforcing it. Okay, so then as a uh, 12th grader. Um, I remember telling Jim McLaughlin, who gave me an opportunity to play in college at UW, that I wanted to win four national titles. And he looked at me and was like, we have a lot of work to do. I was like, all right. Um, And then the big one for me was always outwork everybody else. And what I learned with the national team was like, it's not real advantageous to compare yourself because who really knows how hard other people are working. Um, But at the time that worked for me and I thought it was like, yeah, there's no question I worked outworked everyone in the country in my mind. Who knows? But it would, like got me out of bed in the morning. So how many state titles did you earn in high school? Uh, well, three in volleyball, and we lost in the finals in softball. Okay. And we lost in the semis in basketball. So okay. I have some unfinished business. Yeah. <laughs> what about um, college? How many did you win? We won one national title, and we got our butts kicked in two final fours. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so then fast forward to, let's say, right before your senior year of college started. Uh, then it, it would have been win another national title and be the best setter in the country so that I could help my team better than anybody else in the country. And I, I for sure at that time also had a lot of process goals. And with Jim, we always did this like today this is what you need to get better at uh, this week this you know this month and so as much I learned how to kind of structure like this is the vision this is the ultimate but I can't really control winning a title I can't really control you know all of that stuff so working backwards like today what do I need to do to make that dream happen 
So I would probably call that more of like a vision. And then, uh, so my goals were a little more day to day. But, it, but it, I mean, when I was working out at 5.30 a.m. for class, I would think like, we're gonna win a national title. And we didn't, but it was fun trying. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then I think kind of the next like really interesting stage is after London in 2012. Yeah. What were your goals? Because I mean, on paper, like you've already done everything. So, well, what, you know, what are you thinking right. at that point? Well, I have actually want to break that up into two, if you don't mind. Yeah. So leading into London, I. Um, I wasn't traveling with the number one team and I was really concerned with my performance. Like I have to be perfect to set, you know, to make the Olympics and I have to be really good. And I wasn't, I was like bottom of the totem pole in the USA gym. Kind of hit rock bottom in that sense. Like, oh man, this might never happen. And I went and talked with the head coach and this is important with goals, I think. I went and talked with you and um, long story short, I was very focused on my performance and through that process of like not doing well and him telling me I had a chance to go to the Olympics that I knew I had to kind of shift things and so I from like that day on it became can I impact those around me that are going to the Olympics whether I go or not can I help my team no matter what and can I prepare for the job that I want not the job that I have so I started acting like the starting setter in my mind and, and preparing as if he was going to take me no matter what. And all of a sudden, I was like really concerned with making those around me better and less about my role of like, or what he thought of me. And all of a sudden, I started to like play way better. And then it was more fun. And then I like committed to that process even more. And so that was a huge lesson for me that like, it's not always about what you do, it's about what you get those around you to do. And that became my goal. And all of a sudden, I got to go to the Olympics. And then after London, uh, because of the experience there, and we were super talented, but not a great team. Like if we ever got pushed, we didn't respond together. Um, our mission coming back from that was, we want to do this like it's never been done before. And that to us meant we wanted to win gold medals and we wanted to do it the right way. Uh, we wanted to be all about process and we wanted to be great teammates. And that was my mission kind of going into Rio, like, can I be the best version of me and can I help this program do what's never been done before? And that was a really, really fun four years. Super challenging, um, but I loved it. And that was kind of where my mindset was. Yeah, it's interesting, I mean, it's interesting like hearing your goals because <clears throat> I know with the kids, I, I usually deter them from having like those huge goals. Yeah. Because most of the time, it's impractical for them, but I think the bigger thing is that they don't, well, it's impractical, and it's mostly impractical because they're not willing to put up, right. there, you know, right. so it's interesting, though, to hear from somebody like you where it actually paid off to have those, like, really high goals, but you're also willing to go through the day-to-day -day grind of, of getting there, right. rather than just like, yeah, I want to hit 600 this year. <laughs> and I'm going to hit like one day a week, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's not going to Absolutely. It's not going to do it for you. I um, think, yeah, one of the lines Jim used to say, my coaching at the University of Washington was, are your behaviors in line with your objectives? And so, like, are you willing? It's really easy to say, I want to be great. I want to win a state title. I want to make varsity, you know? But 
the real important goals are like, what can I do today to help me get there? You know, and like, like you were saying, being process oriented and committed to the long game and to being great. And um, that's the jam. So that's why goals are good, I think, or can be, can be good. I think it's also important to have a vision that like is kind of uncomfortable and like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I can do that. But I really want that experience, so I'm willing to go for it, you know? And then uh, putting value in the effort to get there, not necessarily just getting there. Yeah. No. Uh, okay, so it's funny that you've mentioned Michael Gervais a couple times, because I've got, like, some questions kind of specifically about stuff that he has you guys work on or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to listen to his podcasts all the time. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever oh, yeah. listened to any of those, but, um, like, when... I was down here like working on these walls and stuff and like listening to them. So I, I like a lot of his stuff and I'm like, I've been a huge Pete Carroll fan ever since like UFC yeah. days. So, um, they're the, they're and awesome. Like, and all that. Yeah, stuff. But, for sure. Um, so what are some uh, techniques you learned from him that you used during competition, like to help you either recenter? And I've like, I've studied like um, the All Blacks, the New Zealand mm -hmm. team, like some of their stuff or which I think is really interesting. So I was just interested. I, I've heard a lot about um, Gervais stuff, but I haven't heard that much about like in-game competition, yeah. what you do. So if there were anything. Oh, yeah. Well, I think what we worked a lot with Dr. Mike with was just what, what it takes for me to be at my best and can I be that every single day? And then what are the practices that help me get there? Um, so for... In-game competition, it's really easy to get distracted by things, winning and losing, a lot of people watching, what's on the line. You know, I've been working for my whole life to be in the Olympics. I got it, you know. So there's all these potential pitfalls. And so we worked so hard on just being you and being you all the time. And so we defined kind of what makes me, me, what makes Krista her, what makes Feluca her best. And when you can do that, you can stand in those moments like, yeah, this is who I am all the time. Um, when we get distracted, we worked a lot about on breathing, and that's how we train calm, is get really good at focusing on your breath over and over. And if you, know, you spend five, 10 minutes doing that every single day, when you get in the middle of a game in the Olympics and there's thousands, millions of people watching and your dreams are on the line, you can take a breath and you've trained to like let go of everything except for that moment. So a lot of it was just being present. And then you can stand in there and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for this. Like, let's go. This is all of me right now. And we trained that quite a bit. We trained conversations between teammates that happen a ton during games. Like this helps me, this doesn't, um, which I think is something a lot of teams never talk about. You just kind of assume, but you never really know. Um, hey, when you're having a bad day, what what helps you? Like, does it help you when I get mad? Does it help you when I make a joke? Does it help you when I hug you, you know? And those conversations um, were a world of a difference for us. We articulated who we were as a team and what we stood for in difficult moments. Because inevitably, you're gonna be tested if you're trying to do something that's difficult. Um, and if you know ahead of time how you're going to react individually and as a group, when you're in that moment, it's not like, oh, crap, like, oh, God, and, and I don't know what we're going to do. Like, we just lost two games, and now we're down 2-0 going into game three. Like, 
panic mode, you know, like the red light's flashing, you can say, yeah, we've trained for this moment. This is what we're going to do moving forward. We need to adjust, you know, and a lot of that is just being present and not being pissed about what happened or anxious about what happened in the future. Um, those are the big ones and visualizing and using meditation and visualizing to train yourself to be you, your best you, and regardless of what's going on around you. And that goes for volleyball, that goes for school, any test, on a date, <laughs> um, in an interview. That's what I think being happy in life is like, can I just be me and be comfortable with that and be my best for those around me? What, a, what was um, like one time where you specifically maybe feel or bring over feeling like least confident? And oh man! Like in that moment, you know, something that that like as specific as you can get. Oh, I can. Oh, there's been a lot. Let me let me think about a good one to share. Um, that in itself, though, is telling to me because people would look at an Olympian and be like, "Yeah, that's what I'm there. saying." Yeah, you. Uh, <coughs> oh no, uh, the least confident. Let me see. There were, uh, I told you, probably the most difficult year for me was after London, when my mindset went into a tragic negative spiral of like, you know, I went to this a not a great team in Poland. We were like eighth in the league out of 10. And they brought me in as the only foreigner. I couldn't speak the language. Uh, and I put all these expectations on myself to you know, oh yeah, I'm gonna turn the team around. We're gonna like be first in the league. I just got off the Olympics, feeling good about myself. And then anytime I would mess up, it was like, man, you're an Olympian, or you gotta be better, or, you know, Olympian would never do that. Like, oh, you're, you're representing the US poorly now, or my teammates hate me, or my coach is gonna take me out, and I was in the Olympics, and now I'm gonna look really stupid. Oh my gosh, my USA coaches are gonna think less of me, and I'm not gonna play this summer, and then my career's over. I mean, it gets dark, like, quickly, right? So I remember being in a game in the middle of Poland, having all of this dialogue, like, my hitters hate me, my coach is going to take me out, what if they take me out, am I going to get paid? And this just goes to show how bad of a place I was in mentally, like, am I going to get cut from the U.S. team? This is embarrassing. Um, yeah, and I, I just remember going to practice, just, like, kind of that pit in my stomach, like this isn't fun, I don't feel like myself, I, I'm not enjoying volleyball. Um, and I was just, all of this like I should be, rather than just showing up and doing your best. And when things get difficult, it's like, yeah, here we go. This is a time to practice resilience. This is a time to practice confidence, a time to practice being uncomfortable. You know, life isn't easy, everything's not gonna be great all the time, and like, how are you gonna respond? That's usually, what defines you. Um, and that was a moment that I was not responding very well. And I didn't respond well for about six months. <laughs> and it was rough. And I was not a great teammate. Uh, so coaches that you played for, you played for um, Jim McLaughlin. Is that Notre Dame? Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, Hugh McCutcheon. Yep. And then Karsh Cry. So, Three, you know, three pretty big names there. Like, what are some different nuggets? And I'll leave it really open-ended, but just like some nuggets that kind of jump into your mind with 
different things that you kind of learn from from them about running great practices. Things that you've oh, learned that just work really well. Yeah. The uh, Jim McLaughlin was an in, is an incredible coach. Like I loved playing for him, and he's such a teacher of the game. So the things that, like that jump out at me thinking of Jim are. We, everybody in our gym knew exactly what they needed to do that day, that week, that month, that season to help our team reach its goals. Like, you could ask any teammate, whether they were on the bench or started, what are you getting better at today? What's your focus today? And they could tell you these two things. What about this week? This, you know, what, whatever. And he would teach us how to learn. And he taught us that, like, we would, I remember this one time, specifically my sophomore season. <laughs> um, we had never been ranked number one. I think we were like, start of the year, like 17 or something, went to 12 and like seventh in the country. And then we go down and we beat uh, UCLA and USC, who are like one in three in the country, something like that. So Monday comes out and we got released like number one or two in the country. And we were just like, oh, you know, you're a college kid, you think that's like awesome. And he was like more edgy that day than ever before about just on us. Like, we got to get better. We got to. And what he taught us was like, after wins or losses, we shouldn't be able to tell how the weekend was come Monday. And our business and how we approach every day is the same no matter what. We have to get better. I mean, it was such a fun like process to be in. And the cool thing there too was like, we really celebrated the little things. So. When a coach is like, process, 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 you have to celebrate when a kid learns something small. You got to reward that because it's awesome. And like, he would talk about, we had this middle blocker from Canada, Darla, about her like getting her left arm over like three more inches to stuff this like sharp angle. And it was like her thing forever, you know, like weeks and weeks. And Darla, you got to get over like, and she do extra reps on it, whatever. So we would always see her working on it. And the day, the first day she just stuffed someone on with her left hand in practice, it was like we won the national title. Everyone was like, yeah. And so we knew what each other were working on. And it was so cool. And it created this environment where it was really fun to learn. So with Jim, that's what I think of. Um, and as an athlete, it's really nice to have that clarity. Um, and then, do you just want me to keep going? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, Hugh, Hugh McCutcheon was this like super charismatic like uh, leader in that sense, and he was just really believable. Like he would give a pregame talk in the locker room, and you would I would just be like, this guy's good. Like, wow, he'd really get the troops going. And I think his um, his ability to simplify the game too, like. There would be certain skills that I'd be working, you know, like a specific setter move I'd be working on for like hours and hours and hours and weeks. And he'd come over and be like, hey, let's try this. Try focusing on this. And he'd be like, whoa, like, how'd you know? You know, and he really simplified stuff at a high level. I think it's easy to overcomplicate skills and try to be perfect. And he kind of just like cut through all that and, and could teach. And I like that. I also think his ability to adjust in game and make, um, to see the game and help whoever's on the court make adjustments quickly, which at a high level, at, at any level, was really, really important, um, was insane. And he was, that was a huge gift of his. 
Um, and then Karch uh, Karai is just one of the most incredible men I've ever been around and leader. And for all that he's accomplished, and that aside, one of the most humble people I've ever been around. Like, he's incredible. Um, and his desire, his desire to compete every day to be his best and to help those around him be their best was ridiculous. And it's so fun to play for a coach that does things the right way and would take ownership of everything. And um, there wasn't a meeting I had with Karch that he didn't finish with, what can I do better for you? And for a guy leading like 30 women that are uber competitive and all are chasing something that means a lot to them, like that's a loaded question, you know? And that takes a lot of energy to ask people, and he did. And he, he works harder than anyone I know and uh, commits to the greater good, you know, in, in, at an incredible level. And it's just really fun for, to play for a guy that's that competitive and that smart. And he played at high level, so he gets that side of it. Um, and he's cool. It's like, it's really fun to, to be in, you know, because on the national team, you're traveling like all the time and you'll be in China for like four weeks. Let's say week three, it's like a Tuesday and like the gym's cold and the food's not very good at the hotel and you're jet lagged. Karch would come and just be stoked on life to be there. Like he's super competitive and he's always loves the game. And he's like, guys, we got a chance to get better today. This is awesome. Um, and he really led our group in that way, which is cool. Uh, what about talking about practices still? Uh, Practice. Like, like any, <laughs> any like incentives? Were there any like different incentives that your coaches gave during practices, or like what's your view on that? And just like looking at ways to motivate athletes. Yeah, practice? I think uh, one way I really liked the UW is we had standards that we were shooting for. So we, you know, Jim was a scientist of the game. And so if we knew to win a national title, which was one of our goals, we had to side out over 70%, let's say, or 64%. The numbers are, it's been a while since then, but we knew at the time, like 65%, let's say. And so we were, that was our measure. And if we didn't get that, we all kind of, ah, you know, and that's what our competition was. It wasn't necessarily winning and losing. It was like, can we play well? And we would have games that we'd win that we didn't, play to our standard, as we called it. And it, so it almost felt like we lost. The cool part about that was it was all about what we were doing, not about the other side. Um, and we had to touch six a few times, so like run if, you, if we didn't hit our standard or more of it was like effort related if people weren't going hard. Um, and I like that. I mean, I've never had a teammate that loves running. If there was one, it was me. And that I'd be pissed that I had to do it and they didn't you know, just for the mere fact that we lost, you know? And so we did that with, the, with Hugh as well. Um, we'd have to run if we lost sometimes, or if certainly if, if someone didn't go for ball or dive, like we were, we were touching lines. And uh, that'll turn things around. You know, I, I think that's use, a useful tactic. Um, with the Olympic team or the national team, it's like you're fighting for something so important to everyone. There wasn't many days where it was like, lots of days cool, but it still happened. And so we would use, we would use running. But we also got statted against each other. So that's, it's interesting though with kids, because you don't want them to compare to other people. You want them to be their best. But if you also know like, yes, yeah, me or you going, who won? Yeah. You know, so some of that's like real life. 
you know, not everyone can be the best. Not everyone's going to start. Um, so I think, I don't know, teaching that balance and how to use stats to, to help someone compete at a higher level can be useful. Okay, so let's, uh, let's look at, like, if you, so if you were coaching, uh, how, what would be your strategies if you're working with, you know, high school or college athletes? What would be your strategies for helping a team develop uh, mental toughness? Oh, man, I'd have a lot of fun doing that. First of all, I'd spend a significant amount of time on it. I think it's worth the return. And I know we don't, we don't get a lot of time. When we're, your coaches are always like, ah, I just don't have time. It's important. Like, if you're, not, if you're not right here, like, you can train everything, and in a tough moment, you'll lose it all. Um, and I, I also think it doesn't just help your performance. It helps your experience, which is probably more important than how you actually play is your experience in the pursuit of being great. If I were coaching a team, I would, I would challenge them to do breath training um, at least six minutes a day, and I would incorporate, teach them how to do that um, on our time, on team time. I would also teach them how to visualize in a way that could be fun and also help them when they got out there. And I would talk about, at great length, who they were as an individual and how that would translate to them helping the team. And I would talk about at great length how, what our team stood for and what that looked like when things were going well and what that looked like when things weren't going well. And uh, that would be really important to me. And I would put a lot of value and a lot of my feedback would be around where we are best today um, in that way, not necessarily the performance. I think the performance will come after that, you know, if you're thinking about the right things. And then the other thing is to have clarity over what they can control and what they can't. And if all of my feedback, I would try to make all of my feedback about things that they could control. It's motivating for them, and it's also freeing for them. All that easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> but I, those are the things I would probably start with. Okay. I would write down as well, I would have them on the whiteboard before practice, write down the two things they're working on that day. They work 100% under their control. And then at the end, I'd ask them how they did to see, like, where was your mindset today? What do you mean as an individual? Or as, as an individual. I, we did that with the national team. Like, I'm going to finish every set aggressively, and I'm going to respond well when I make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like, those are the only goals I had of the day. And then at the end, it'd be like, Cartridge check in. Hey, how'd you do today? Fluka, how'd you do today? Tama, how'd you do? And in front of everyone, he'd be like, yeah, it was pretty good. I got a little emotional when I lost three games in a row. And I, you know, I stopped responding well. Um, but I snapped out of it, and I finished better than I started. Cool. That's awesome. We're all, that's what we're about right now. You know, how'd you do? You know? Yeah. Okay. What about, uh, uh, how do you build, like, energy and enthusiasm in practice? Because uh, you want practice. To be fun, yeah. especially baseball practices tend to be the yeah. worst thing that people have ever done in their life. So it's like... They can be a little... But that was, yeah, you're right. We're at, well, we're practicing outdoors in a bad time of the year. It tends to be like a rep-heavy deal where, uh, especially if you're not doing things right, reps come slowly. 
you know, like the worst practice in baseball right. you can have is like one guy sitting in there and just staying around shagging. Like that's, right. that's the worst that you can have. So uh, just developing like energy and enthusiasm yeah. the practice level would be. I would try to create as much competition as possible. I think even little kids love to compete. It's like innate in most people, especially if they're playing sports. Um, and it creates kind of this, I don't know, fun challenge that we can like get around and cheer. And then all of a sudden, half the team's cheering for this one guy. And then the other team's getting pissed. But now they're going to be more motivated, hopefully. You know, competition is a way. Um, I think having clarity about what you're doing and what you're working on, and so that everyone can be stoked when we can, when you see improvement. And if a coach sets that standard, it's contagious, you know. And teaching a kid that it's more important to get excited for someone else than it is for when you do it, and then it becomes also more fun. And I also think if the team is like lacking energy, the coach has got to like step up, and as part of the job, mm-hmm. I feel that way. And there's days when I've been coaching and I'm like, oh, man, I'm sh- come on, guys. You're killing me. Like, you're all, what is everyone, tired today, you know? And you want to, and then it's like, all right, you got to bring it. This is part of your job. Like, hey, let's go, you know, and tone and moving, how you, like, move around the drills and, like, in between drills, are we walking, are we running? Like, let's get it going. We play music on the national team, just like the Seahawks. Like, that stuff makes a world of a difference. Like, there's been, you know, warming up, we do it every day and it's generally the same thing. Like it can be really slow. And like by the third month of the season or the seventh month overseas, you're like, oh my God, I can't do this again. And it's like quiet and you're just thinking about what else you could be doing. And you know, or you come in and there's like music and people are high five and it's like, let's go to work. Like this is an opportunity to get better. You know, and when there's excitement around that, um, I would try to geek out on that as much as possible. Uh, and then how do you handle like out of practice training or trying to talk to your athletes about what the expectations are or what they need to be doing outside of practice? How do you hmm. I would ask, I would probably ask them what they wanted, like sit down with them and like not your parents, not what you think I want to hear. Like what do you want to experience out of this year and maybe the next five or three? And then work backwards from there and say, okay, are you willing to do this? Like, I can help you. If you just want to, like, be, have fun with your friends and, like, you don't really care how good you do, like, cool. Come to practice and we'll have fun and we'll compete. If you actually want to get better, like, here's some tools. And maybe give them, like, two things a week. Something that's very tangible and very much in their control that I think would impact them greatly. And let's put energy into that. And then what about, uh, from your experience, like, internationally, what did you, how did that compare? Like, what were, what oh, were my gosh. You played in Europe, then you played, you played in Brazil, right, for a year? Yeah, I played, I played in uh, Puerto Rico for three years. I played in Switzerland for three years, Austria, Poland, and Brazil. Okay. Yeah. So what were, like, was it different playing in different cultures? Oh, my God. Like, they handle things Night and day. What are some, like, good things that you would draw from? Uh, it's really fun to see how people choose to live life differently and put value into different things and are just as happy, but do it differently. And, um, like some funny examples would be in Puerto Rico, things were like very laid back. Like we'd have practice at seven and my coach would come at like seven forty-five, 
And, you know, the Americans are like, what is happening? Like, how is this okay? And everyone there is like, oh, yeah, sorry. You know, all right, let's go. And it's, like, kind of normal. And at games, there'd be, like, like car, car alarms that they, like, took out were, like, blasting, like, noisemakers, like, trumpets, like, drums, and people wearing, like, bathing suits in the stands, like, very low-key, like, party atmosphere. And then in Switzerland, we'd play, and there'd be, like, people at, like, high, high um, benches and high tables with, like, suits and ties, and the women are wearing, like, scarves and, like, drinking wine, and, like, they'd cheer like this. Like, an entirely different environment. But, hey, do your thing, you know? Like, that's they're kind of their jam. And just stuff like lifestyle, stuff like that was really fun. And, um, yeah, the cultures, I, I think the biggest takeaway was that. And, and that sports was also this great, like, commonality that you could have, you know, a lot of money, no money, be from, you know, I don't know, different places in the world. And they were just there to, like, see this beautiful game and see competition at its best. Um, and that was a really cool thing. And, um, you know, and inspiring stories of kids that weren't as fortunate coming to games and wanting to, like, be a part of your team was a really humbling thing. And all, all those things that kind of fire you up here, it's like it happens all over the world in just different ways. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, like how early you think people should be specialized, if at all, how, just how you feel about yeah. it. How, what value did playing a lot of sports bring to your life? Yeah, yeah I, I know it's easier said than done because I'm removed, I don't have kids playing or anything, but I think um, that when a kid plays more than one sports, you learn so much uh, from that experience. Physically, your body learns different movements. Mentally, the approach is a little different. Um, emotionally, the, uh, the way teams work together are different in every single sport. And I think to reach full potential, you need all those things and all those different experiences and different moments. Uh, we talked about baseball being different than basketball or volleyball when you're, you know, you got all this time and volleyball is a little bit like tennis. You play and then you stop. You play, you stop. Basketball is more continuous. Baseball is like you play and then you sit for a long time. And, then, and so it teaches you how to engage with competing in different single in different ways. Um, socially, you, it's different. And I just am very much against uh, kids specifying what sport they're going to play at a young age and just playing one. I just think you're going to miss out on a ton. And the one other thing I, I've learned traveling, which has been cool, like in Brazil, uh, volleyball is really popular. And they're, the kids are like incredible. And it's not because their club systems are better, or they have, they have less structure. They just play all the time. They play on the beach, they play on courts with just a bunch of kids. They play at home in their backyard and they learn, oh, I'm gonna watch this player do this on TV and then I'm gonna go try it. Mm -hmm. And like it's emulating like Ken Griffey Jr. swing in the backyard. Like you learn from, that's the best way to learn. I watch it and then I'm gonna go try to do it. And then you kind of bring your nuance to it. And then you, you know, crush the balls in Little League. And then you do it again. You watch someone else. And, uh, and that's the fun of sports, I think, is the, the dream and, like, the inspiration to be great. And not every kid's going to have that. But, like, that's such a fun part of childhood that if we're just in, like, three workouts a week that we're paying for in private lessons and, you know, 20 practices, I think you lose some of that intuition and, and love for the game and 
I also know that when I was that age, I was so crazy. I probably would have wanted all those things. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know how to balance that. But I, I, um, I also played a ton of sports, you know, and a lot of my teammates that made the national team did. Um, so well, one thing about you is if you had been forced to choose a sport, you might not have chosen. Yeah, I, you're right. I made. I wouldn't have because I loved. I love the other sports more. So uh, that's important. But I. Yeah, I, I, I wish that wasn't a thing in our in our country right now for sure. Having kids, you know, needing to choose in like seventh grade. Gosh, man, they're yeah. I could go on. But. Thank you for tuning into the show. I'd like to give a special thanks to Courtney for taking time out of her busy schedule to be with us. It was a great time with tons of insight from a, a truly elite competitor. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Jamie Baseball Academy or just Jamie Baseball. Visit our site and blog at jamiebaseballacademy.com. Also, if you would leave us positive feedback on the iTunes store, that'd be awesome. You can do that by going to your Apple Podcasts icon. Go to search, type in Baseball Coaching Journey, then click the logo, click review, and then write review. Thank you again, and be sure to uh, check back soon for new episodes.